Sunday school children are going off to their classes. While they're doing that, I wonder if you could open your Bibles to First uh, Timothy chapter 4. We will continue in our series and we'll be looking today at First Timothy chapter 4 verses 12 to the end of the chapter being verse 16. As you can see, I've titled our message this morning is Our Example and Testimony Really Matters. So follow with me as I read these uh, verses together. Verse 12 of chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which has bestowed on you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Trust that God will add a blessing to his word this morning. As I get older, like some here this morning, I and others like me can look back with fond memories on more youthful days. Generally speaking, those were days when we had large amounts of energy and enthusiasm and confidence and passion and all the rest of that stuff. But all these aspects of life begin to fade somewhat as we enter, dare I say it, the twilight years. But, there is a but, but one thing us older folks do have, listen up now you younger folks, Why younger, I mean anyone that's younger than me. One thing us older folks do have, that is experience. Experience of life. Where in the providence of God as a believer, they now tell a story. All those experiences tell a story. In other words, our lives set an example. And our lives soon become examples that others will follow, whether you like it or not. Be they good examples or be they examples that have a lot to be desired. When all said and done, no matter what age and stage we're at, our lives leave a mark. They tell, can I say, they tell a story They become an example and a testimony in one way or another. We soon become like books that can be read. And for some of us, the last few chapters are in the process of being written. By the way, that's an analogy that I've borrowed. The Apostle Paul used that analogy. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, he said to those believers of that church, you are letters written in our hearts, known and read by all men. So he uses the analogy that our lives are a story, they're a book. 
So all this is to say how we conduct ourselves and how we behave as we serve the Lord wherever we are and especially in the assembly really tells a whole lot about a person. In other words, our example and testimony among the saints really matters. It tells a most important story that others will follow. And here in our text, the aged apostle at this stage of his life, the aged apostle Paul, with a lifetime experience like some of you here today, gives personal instruction to young, inexperienced Timothy. Because as you know, as we've been going through this series, Timothy was the pastor at the church at Ephesus. Paul had left them there on guard. He had left them there with that duty. And it was vital that Timothy's pastoral ministry correspond with a godly, personal example and testimony. It was absolutely vital. Now, I just want to stop there because on that note, some of you may be thinking, okay, well, I can shut off here because what we've read today is only relevant to Timothy or from Paul to Timothy. And, and you know, in some way, in the original uh, letter, that was right. This was a personal letter to Timothy in his situation. And Timothy was a young man and who had worked under many years. He worked under Paul's tutorage for many years, but now he needed help in this leadership transition. And because of this background, it would be easy for us to say, this section is not really for me, it's for Timothy, and by association for pastors in our modern day. Well, if you take that position, let me tell you, you would be dead wrong. Firstly, because we know that every word of Scripture, right? Every word of Scripture is given by inspiration and every word is profitable for you for reproof and correction and training in righteousness according to 2 Timothy 3.16. That's number one. True, it is a conversation going on originally or went on between Paul and Timothy. But this conversation that God has allowed us to listen in on, that's what he's done. He's allowed us to listen in on this conversation and it's for all the people of God, not just ministers or pastors or elders. And you might say, well, why? How do you get that? Well, first of all, what we see here today is how a local church pastor or the eldership of that church, what it should really look like. In other words, what Paul paints here today is an ideal situation. It gives us a target, a goal to aim for as a church, no matter who you are. And so you can be much in prayer, whether you're in a leadership position or not, you can be much in prayer that the pattern that Paul sets here today is what we as a church or the church where you come from is what it should shoot for. Secondly, we have here in this text what is central to the ministry of a local church. A lot of churches struggle with this. They're all over the place. But what we have here in the text puts it out clear what is to be central for the ministry of the church. So as a young Christian or any Christian, you, uh, you, what you should be doing is, is longing for a local church to be like Paul says it ought to be based on this passage. 
be a good instruction there if you leave the area and have to look for a church. Well, this is a passage today which gives you some cues of what kind of thing to look for in a church. And, and again, as Timothy is to be an example of the flock by practicing these things, that also sends a powerful message for what each believer in the assembly is to seek and follow as well, right? So he gives a whole list here and we'll get, get into those. And so this is relevant for you as well. And finally, if you're here today and you're an unbeliever, that is that you have not personally embraced Jesus Christ as your saviour by faith. If you don't know him as personal saviour, you can learn from this passage as well. And what you'll learn from this passage is that you will see the means and the ways that God does two things. How he saves sinners and how he builds up disciples, those who become believers. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ, you can learn from this passage the way that God goes about doing that. Now, today the modern pastor, can I say, is expected to be skilled and a master of many different duties. And sadly, often is the case that this excessive responsibility, this excessive, or can I say, expectation that are placed on many, leads to the demise of many. You will all know pastors that have dropped out, burnt out, gone out, or whatever out. And uh, so here in this passage, we are reminded of what the elder, or what the pastor of a church is required to do. Paul gives us a pastor or an elder's job description here. Okay? And in doing that, he sheds a whole lot of light on the pattern or the model of what church ministry should look like. And so what he does here, he gives five things that give Timothy direction and every minister of the gospel as as well as everyone gathered here today. He gives five things that we need to pay heed or attention to. And the first one is... Practice what you preach. We see this in verse 12. You know, Paul has just finished stating in verse 11 that we looked at uh, last week that the faithful, last time we were together, the faithful minister is to prescribe. We see that in verse 11. He is to prescribe. That means he is to teach all these things that are being written on prior verse 11 with authority. That's that word prescribe. It has a, has a whole lot of clout on it. It's not just giving out, okay, you can do this if you want. In other words, he he is to preach with authority all these things that are written in prior verse 11 in this chapter. And, And again, he says in this word prescribed, it tells us basically the preacher, the pastor, is not to be a wimp in the pulpit. He is to go all out and to teach the church and his authority is not in himself but it is based on the word of God. As I mentioned that last week, you know, I have no authority in the church but the word of God has the authority. It's my responsibility, it's any pastor's responsibility to preach the word of God and nothing else. Now, as we think about this, you can imagine a guy who was 50 plus or something like that not having any too much trouble In doing this, as age and experience, generally speaking, carries some weight. But Timothy here, in our historical context, was a youngster. Possibly in his late 30s. A youngster. 
He was a whole lot younger than many of his people in the congregation and I am sure you know how that can possibly go down and it seemed to be going down like this in Ephesus. This is how it would have gone down. Who does this young whippersnapper think he is? What life experiences he had that gives him the right to rebuke and counsel and reprove us like that? Or maybe he's still an apprentice, so what he says doesn't matter too much. This happens. And more than likely it was happening in Ephesus. And might I say it can still happen when a younger man takes a pastoral teaching role in any church today. But that kind of reaction can be expected, right? In some ways, in a milder form, it can be expected. After all, Timothy didn't really have too much credibility, did he? He needed to earn the respect and the esteem of the people as their shepherd. He didn't have that. And so what does Paul say? He says in verse 12, he warns Timothy and he says, make sure that no one has reason to look down or despise on your youthfulness. You know, I always thought this verse, for many, many years, I always thought this verse was, Jeff Honick, even though you're a youngster, this is way back in the years, you've got to stand up and just take no rubbish from anyone. But it doesn't mean that at all. He is not saying here, stand your ground and don't put up with any negativity from anyone. And if anyone does give you some grief, you give them a good theological whack. No, no, it doesn't say that at all. What Paul is saying here is this, Timothy, because you have not lived long enough and are not old enough to have built up a a bank of credibility for the ministry, you must go all out and earn that respect, that trustworthiness from your people. So you're going to understand what Paul is saying here, right? Even though the Apostle Paul, listen to this, even though the Apostle, the, the, the Timothy, even though Timothy was, was divinely called and gifted for this ministry, Paul was saying, Timothy, you need to prove yourself. You need a track record that would give the people confidence in order for them to respect you as being God's man to shepherd them. He needed to begin, Timothy did, by writing his credibility story, can I say, in the right way. And so Paul doesn't leave him there. He gives... Timothy, five functions that Timothy must work on to set and maintain an example of excellence for the church to see and follow. And the first one that Timothy had and any church minister or leader has is you must set an example in your speech. Timothy, what you say, what comes out of your mouth, must show that you are qualified to be a servant leader in the church. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Now, Paul was not only speaking here about how and what he said in the pulpit or his preaching ability or skills to communicate. This here included his everyday speech. In the home, in the workplace, 
to his friends, to his brothers and sisters, to everyone, his everyday speech. In other words, no pun intended by the way, how you speak to people, how you respect them in your conversation says a whole lot about you. I've got a whole heap to learn on this, folks. And it is true. A person's speech reflects what's really in his heart, right? Jesus said this, said this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 to 37. Let me read it for you. For the mouth speaks out that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now that's pretty serious, right? That's what Jesus says about our words. And so this reminds us all that any type of sinful speech must be avoided by the servant of God. He must avoid lies or she must avoid lies, exaggeration and gossip and running people down. We all must lay aside falsehood and speak truth, each one of you, with the neighbor. Ephesians 4 verse 25. That's how it is meant to be and that's how it should be. So those in leadership in the church must set an example by their speech and that will include you Sunday school teachers, you home group leaders and dare I say it, you parents in the home, your husbands to your wives and vice versa. So what's the next one? You set an example in your conduct. Once again, it's not in the pulpit or leading a home group ministry that uh, is in mind here but it's speaking that about every area of life. He is to be exemplary. He is to have a 24-7 good conduct record in order to have credibility among God's people. There is nothing worse for the church than to sit under preaching when the preacher's personal lifestyle is dodgy, right? That's blatant hypocrisy. But it happens. It goes on. Sad to say. But worse, what is worse People tend to follow how a man lives, not necessarily what he preaches. And so there's a lot of truth in the adage, actions speak louder than words. But on the other hand, on the other hand, a godly life brings power and authority to a man's preaching and teaching. It gives him credibility. It gives him respect. Thirdly, you must set an example in your love. Now, this love here that Paul mentions is not the emotional love that we see that's so prevalent in our culture today. It's not that emotional love in and of itself. This is biblical love. It's agape love. And this is love that involves self-sacrificial service on behalf of others, no matter how you may feel about them. This is what it means. It's the kind of love that Jesus describes in John 15. Greater love hath no man than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. You see, folks, leaders and their people are to seek and pursue this kind of love and action because when that characterizes our lives, we set an example. It proves, it gives our faith, our ministry credibility. Fourthly, you must set an example in your faith. 
You know, the faith that Paul was mentioning here and speaking to Timothy about was not the saving faith of when he came, first came to Jesus Christ, which I hope you all have participated in. This is not salvation faith here. This faith that Timothy uh, was to practice and work on was this unwavering faith. It was faithfulness in the ministry. It's a kind of faith that, that does not deviate from the truth or that body of truth that was once handed down to the saints. We have that in Jude once. He doesn't deviate from that. Timothy, Paul says, you must set an example by your faithfulness in that you never ever renege and turn from the truth. You must be a stalwart of the faith because by being faithful you will prove your calling, Timothy. Your calling to be a minister of the word of God. How important it is that you pray, folks, for your elders, for your leaders, that they remain faithful. None of us are exempt from reneging. None of us are exempt from the temptation to swerve here or there. You need to pray that your leaders would remain faithful because anything else is destructive, completely destructive. And also, Timothy, you must set an example by your purity. Now, when it comes to Timothy's purity, what Paul had in mind here was his sexual purity. Folks, as you may know, nothing ravages the ministry, the church, personal relationships, and the testament of a church like sexual impurity does. Nothing does. Sexual impurity disqualifies, I believe, forever the man of God who takes a pastoral role in the church. And Timothy was to be an example in this area. This means that Timothy and any leader must relate to female members in the church in a way that was completely above reproach. Completely above reproach. He must be careful. He must, he must be attentive to this. He must never ever visit or counsel women folk by himself or place himself in a vulnerable situation where he is alone with a sister of the Lord. Never. I read where one old minister put it like this, Brothers, love your sisters but take no pleasure in them. In other words, you serve them but you do not lust for them. You do not treat them as an object for your gratification. You love them purely like a sister in Christ. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy here. So in all these five words, these five commands, they are imperatives, the message is clear to pastors and elders and church leaders. Whether it be Sunday school leaders or home group leaders, practice what you preach. And this will build up a bank of credibility that will prove you to be an example for people to follow. And all of us leaders in the home and in the church, what we must do is adorn godly living in order to be examples to those entrusted to our care. My second point is focus your ministry on reading, preaching and teaching the word. We see this in verse 13. So the leader in the church must not only practice what they preach, but they must also have a special focus in the ministry. 
Now I could spend all afternoon talking about different focuses of different ministries, not necessarily in this church, but in many churches. But Paul spells this out real plain, real plain for all to see and read. He said, Timothy, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. In other words, Paul is saying, Timothy, forget about all the gimmicks and all the entertainment. Turn off the strobe lights. Chase out the dancers. And make the Bible your source. Preach the word. Because that is the true grit of your ministry. That's what he's saying to Timothy, and that's what he's saying by association to every pastor and every preacher that's takes the word of God and teaches people. Now he's not saying that he's not to use different means. He's saying by any means use your own words like I am kind of doing here today. Use your own words and your own means. I use a PowerPoint. Use any of that to explain the text, to illustrate the text. After all, this is the grace of God working through you, right? But make sure, Timothy, that you never, ever replace the means of God's grace being made known with anything other than the reading of the Word and the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Never replace that. That's your primary focus in the ministry, Timothy. And for every pastor and for every leader that teaches God's people. Sad to say, we see a dearth of Bible reading in many churches today, don't we? A real dearth. I often hear people say, oh, well, they don't open the Bible in that church. Uh, the Bible is not even referred to. How sad that is. And if the Bible is read, there is often a lack of adjoining, as we have in our text, exhortation. Exhortation is that which challenges the people to apply the truth and it warns them and reproves them. Then there is also a lack of teaching which explains the Word of God. Folks, pray that your leaders from this pulpit, your Sunday school teachers, your home group leaders, never replace the reading of the Scriptures and exhortation and teaching with anything else, no matter how attractive and fleshly inviting it may be. You see, in faithful Bible preaching, this is a bit of a footnote here, in faithful Bible preaching there is always three things. One, there is the explanation of the Bible, that is, so that you can understand it. Ezra and Nehemiah's day, they did that. They got up in a raised pulpit and they talked to the people and they, and they explained the, old, the Torah to the people. They just didn't read it, they read it and then explained it. So there is explanation of the Bible. Secondly, there is application of the Bible, not necessarily in this order. It can be any kind of order. There is application of the Bible. That is, how you connect what the Bible teaches to your life. And there are many applications, by the way, many applications, not just one. There are many applications, but only one, only one true meaning of the text. And to find that one true meaning is the duty and the responsibility of the teacher, the pastor-teacher, to dig into the text and discover the one true meaning. There's only one true meaning. Now, can I get that wrong? I certainly can. I possibly can, but I endeavour not to. But God inspired men to write the Scriptures with one true meaning in mind. And out of that, of course, 
we do have many applications. And thirdly, not only is the explanation and application, but we see there's exhortation. What exhortation is, is this is where the preacher or the teacher, the pastor, will compel and call you to respond to what he's just explained and applied. That's pretty simple, isn't it? One, two, three. Folks, may it never be that the Word of God is squeezed out of its rightful and preeminent place in our times of worship in this church. Matter of fact, any church that allows its pastor to go down that track is a dying church. No, I'll rephrase that. It's a church that's dead already. May our focus always be on the reading, exhorting, and teaching of the Word of God in the assembly of the Lord's people. My third point is, don't neglect your divine calling. We see this in verse 14. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. As we know, not all who enter the ministry stay the course set before them. Some bail out because they were never called to be there in the first place. Others bail out as pressure becomes too much to handle, so they walk away. And you know what? Timothy knew this kind of pressure. Timothy felt the heat of his leadership position. He was vulnerable. He was young. He was under the pump. And he was not exempt like any of us from temptation to to go find an easier occupation and to neglect the spiritual gift that God had given him to respect that spiritual gift as the word charisma. And this word charisma, that is the gift that every person, when they are born again, when they're saved, God gives to them. In other words, every person here who belongs to Christ has this charisma, a gift for the edification of the church. And so Timothy was gifted. He had more than one, by the way. And that's how it is even today. We have, some have more than one. Timothy had the gift of evangelism. He had the gift of preaching and teaching and leadership. And on top of all that, on top of all that, his gifts were confirmed prophetically. You see that? You think about that. They were confirmed prophetically. In other words, his gifts were received subjectively, like all of us, when we come to faith in Christ. It's a personal business with God where we come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness and and repent before him and, and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so subjectively, at that single moment, we are gifted. We may not know it, but we'll get to that next. But we are. And so... Timothy received that, just like we do in this day and age, but then Timothy received something that we don't. In other words, he didn't not only receive the gifts subjectively like we do, but then he objectively and publicly, those gifts were affirmed as being a direct gift from God. That's what the word prophetic utterance means. See that? Prophetic utterance. Now, we don't get that kind of affirmation, do we? I've had no prophetic utterance. Well, people might try, but really... The Apostle Paul was involved in this too, by the way. You go back to Timothy 1, verse 6, you'll see that the Apostle Paul was one of the ones that laid his hands on Timothy. And so there was an apostle involved, at least one apostle involved here. And so this was a, this was a, a special time for the church's establishment. And so by prophetic utterance, by prophecy, his gifts 
were affirmed. Now, how does God affirm our gifts? Not prophetically. You know how he first affirms our gift? It's real simple. He gives us a desire and then he creates the opportunity. Remember way back, was it? Uh, back in um, chapter 3, it is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of an overseer. The same word, desire there. I always remember I had a desire to pastoral ministry. And uh, so opportunity came to study at ACM, Adelaide College of Ministries, and then I was heading back to New Zealand, or so I thought, and then hopefully an opportunity would open up for me. And then bingo. Well, that's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek. New Community Church came into being. Opportunity. So desire... God affirms gifts today by his desire and opportunity. And so we're to put ourselves in a place of availability so that when opportunity arises, we can just walk in. But the point I want to make here is that even though Timothy had this divine affirmation of his gifts by prophetic utterance, you know what? He still had to cultivate them. You get that? He still had to work at them. It wasn't as if everything was loaded on him and he just got up and, and, and some mystical power and did what he did. No, no. He still had to work hard, to sweat, and to, and to go all out to cultivate the gifts that were divinely confirmed. He still had to fight against temptation to bail out, to give up when the going got tough. He still had to fight on to press toward the mark that God had set before him. He still had to do those things. And so this asks the question. This asks us all the question. If Timothy had to personally cultivate his prophetically affirmed gifts, how much more should we? Right? I wonder if we're doing that. I wonder if we have desire and I wonder if we're putting ourselves into a position of availability where we can take up opportunities. So Timothy, as well as every believer, should take heed to cultivate and rely upon divine spiritual gifting. He said, well, why should we? I'm quite happy just coming to church once a week and going to home group and kind of reading my Bible and praying and so forth. I'm quite happy just doing that. Thanks very much. So why should we be cultivating and relying on the spiritual charisma or the spiritual gifts that God gave us when we were saved. I'll tell you why. Because of what the Lord has called us to do. I think I mentioned in my prayer, we're left here for a purpose, folks. We're left here to witness. That's it. To witness. Nothing else. To witness. For the glory of God. And this is a, this, what this witnessing is. It, it's, it's something that's beyond we can accomplish in our own strength. Because you know what it was? In our witnessing, he calls us to call spiritually dead people to spiritually life. Now you tell me how you can do that. We are here to witness to call dead people to come to life. That's what we're called to do. And our own strength, we don't have the power at all to do that. And dare I say, it's only raw divine power working through us that can do that. 
We do not have the power to raise spiritually dead people. But God has gifted us the means, the tools to do exactly that as we speak the word of truth so that the dead in sin will live. And as Timothy must not neglect his spiritual gifts, neither should any of us. My fourth point is be absorbed in God's work that he's given you. And we see this in verse 15. You know, it's a given, I'm sure you'll appreciate, to be successful in business, athletics, academics, medicine, whatever discipline you want to put up there. There's one common denominator in all those to be successful, and that person has to become absorbed in the field of discipline. If you make a half-hearted attempt at any of those disciplines, I'm sure Anisha and the Anta back there, if she only made a half-hearted attempt when she was five years down in Tasmania studying medicine, she would have dropped out. Is that right, Anita? She would have dropped out or been kicked out. So Paul, and you know what? She would have been on display. Well, she didn't put the hours in. She didn't put the commitment in if that was the case. But she didn't. She'd become absorbed at the task that was before her, God providentially placed before her. She gave her all to that. And so Paul tells Timothy exactly the same thing here. You will only achieve, he says, you will only achieve respect and credibility in the ministry if you are absorbed in all that is required of a faithful minister. You get that? In other words, Timothy, to gain credibility, for you to make progress in earning respect from your congregation, don't treat this ministry like a nine-to-five job. You need to become engulfed in this work. My dear friends, I love to go home. My wife can vouch for this. I love to go home from my office after a day of sermon prep, maybe Bible study and other few admin duties I have and pastoral duties, etc. And I love to go home with the idea of totally switching off. It is so compelling. But so often I cannot. The text that I've been looking at all day. The part that I have not nailed. Is this the true, single, originally intended meaning that God gave the author? Have I got it right? Or or that person in the church that needs help and I feel so helpless. That unhappy believer who is all at sea when it comes to his understanding of the gospel. The counsel that I need to give or I haven't given yet that I need to. The host of pastoral responsibilities, can I say, often engulfs me. I often lay on my bed and be absorbed in the matters of the church. But you know what? That's fine. It's not burnout material, no way. This is how God intended it to be. That's how it should be. Those who are called to teach, that's how it should be. That's how the ministry should be to a man who is called to lead and pastor the church. And might I say, this is what God uses to bring about spiritual progress in my life. And hopefully it will become evident to all of you. That's how it should be. This is what he's telling Paul, the Apostle, uh, Timothy here. This is what Paul's telling Timothy. 
You see, Timothy needed to be absorbed in the ministry to gain credibility with his people and so that should every minister of the gospel. And then we see number five. Pay close attention to your life and the teaching and never give up. We see this in verse 16, the last verse. This kind of wraps up Paul's charge to Timothy, which highlights the importance of his personal conduct and his teaching. And so firstly, Paul commands Timothy, he says, pay close attention to himself. Now a lot of ministers get carried away with this. Oh, fantastic, that means I need to take my holiday, that means I take a long service leave, that means I need to take every Monday off, that means I play my golf. Nothing wrong with those things, by the way. But they kind of get this out of context, I honestly believe. Pay close attention to yourself. What he's talking about here, what Paul is talking about here is Timothy's personal everyday conduct as described from verse 11 onwards. In other words, Timothy, for you to earn respect and credibility from your people so that they don't despise your youth, live a godly and exemplary life before them, it is essential. Take heed to yourself. But he also commanded him uh, to, to pay close attention to his teaching. You see that? To his teaching. So not only to himself, but to his teaching. And so Timothy, as well as living a godly life, you make sure you teach the word of God. Give your uttermost attention to these two aspects of the ministry. This is your job description, Timothy. This is your calling. That's what Paul is telling Timothy here. You must be right before God, in other words. You must be right before God in order to do what you're gifted to do. Then Paul comes in with a second command in this verse, and he says, persevere in these things. What things, we might ask? What does he persevere in? Simply this, godly living and teaching scripture. It's all there. At all costs, Timothy must persevere. He must be fully devoted. He must never be diverted from these two imperatives, godly living and teaching the scriptures. Why? Why are these two commands to live godly and teach the scripture so vitally important? Paul tells us here, For as you do this, or in doing this, the idea is a continuing sense there, in doing this, it's not as if he has to do something and it's finished. No, in doing this, you will ensure salvation for yourselves and for those who hear you. Now some also get hung up on this verse and think that Paul has to earn his salvation. Now this is not um, speaking of earning salvation as uh, some would purport because we know that scripture teaches elsewhere clearly and plainly that salvation is of the Lord and it comes by his grace, God's grace alone through faith alone. Not of works. Ephesians chapter 2 is very clear on that as for one text. And so what this text verse is saying is in doing this Timothy you will be saved from a wasted life. In other words, Timothy, for you to pursue your gifts and to practice your gifts, you will save yourself from a wasted life and you will save yourself from rebelling against God's will for you. You will save yourself. But just be reminded, Timothy, this is tough work. It requires perseverance. And doesn't it all from us? Absolutely it does. But there is another benefit as well. It is through your persevering ministry that people are saved. Do you see that? 
Other people are saved. In other words, Timothy, pay close attention to your life and to your teaching because that will be the instrument that God has chosen for your own salvation and for the salvation of others. This is why Paul in Romans chapter 10 verse 15 says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. The witness, the person who gives witness to God's saving grace, God describes as beautiful. So are we beautiful witnesses? You see, God's glory is not undone or diminished in any way when he chooses to use human instruments like ourselves. As weak as we may be, weak vessels like we are, it doesn't diminish his glory. That's how he works. That's how he does it. So if you think, oh, well, I'm not eloquent enough to share the gospel with someone, wrong thinking, folks. Be it bumbling words or whatever, you need to witness. God will use that. It's beautiful and encouraging to know that he uses weak vessels like us to do this miraculous eternal work. I think it's beautiful anyway. So here are five sobering words to a young pastor. Five words that tell us what ministers, pastors ought to be and do. Five words that tell us what ministry in the church is and what it should be. May it be that the ministry of New Community Church never lose sight of focus of these things. May it be that we as leaders live godly lives and teach the word because this is the primary focus of the church. Why? Because that's God's business and doing it his way. May we close with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your word. Though feebly explained, we thank you for the purity of the text that tells us of the conduct of a minister of the gospel, that tells us of the focus of a Christ-centered church. So Lord, help us to pursue this, not only as leaders in the church, but as mums and dads and young people. May we keep one another accountable. May we submit ourselves to one another with the idea and with the goal of pursuing what we have read today. Lord, help us to live godly lives. Challenge us in any of these areas that we know that we fall short on. Change us, we pray. Transform us. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.